Good evening, Europe, and welcome to the Autopia Soundtrack Breakdown. I am Reverb, and together we are going to analyze the Eurovision songs that completed the soundtrack of the Autopia podcast. These songs were not a random background music selection. Even though being apolitical is one of the institution's most important rules, the Eurovision Song Contest has often acted as a mirror for Europe's hottest political situations. Besides the multiple efforts to contain it, getting political in Eurovision seems like an inevitable and often occurring accident. Today, we remember nine such accidents from the history of the contest. Some of those moments that reflected European politics or political drama. Here are nine times when Eurovision got political. Insieme, Toto Cutugno, 1992, or in his own words, Unite Unite Europe. Unite, unite, Most people still might think that Italy's last win was in 1992. That, however, is rather wrong. Italy's last victory was in 1990. The title of Toto Cutugno's winning song was in Siena 1992. The song was a musical celebration of the soon-to-be realization of the European Union that was to be implemented in 1992 with the Maastricht Treaty. United United Europe was the only English lyric of the song. The Italian singer won the Eurovision Song Contest with a Unitarian anthem celebrating the United Europe's future realization. It was a time of optimism indeed, and Insieme was a simple way for Italy to showcase the extent to which their great country intended to participate in this vision of political and cultural unity. Toto performed the song with Pepelin Kri, a Slovenian band who represented Yugoslavia in 1975 as perhaps a quite literal way of demonstrating cooperation and unity. Nevertheless, catching the collaborative spirit is never that simple. RAI's contest of 1991 is still considered to be one of the worst organized of recent memory and it is still said that the EBU is not particularly fond of having Italy hosting the contest anytime soon. Since its return in the contest in 2011, however, Italy has been doing pretty well. The country's first win since the founding of the European Union might be well on its way. Want to put in Stefana and 3G Russian Controversies Part 1.
The Russian Federation's heated relationships with its neighbors have been the source of heated Eurovision controversy as well, and the Russia-Georgian conflict of 2008 was no exception. The armed conflict between Russia, Georgia, and the self-proclaimed republics of South Ossetia and Abkhazia lasted five days between the 7th and 12th of August 2018 and ended with Georgia losing control of parts of the two disputed areas. Georgian discontent was said to have rather eloquently materialized in the country's 2009 Eurovision entry. Stefan and 3G's disco bop, We Don't Wanna Put In, was to represent the Caucasian Republic at the 54th edition of the song contest. Yes, that was the year that the contest would be held in Moscow. A wordplay on the name of then Prime Minister Vladimir Putin himself turned out to be not a small issue at all. After the EBU's statement that the song did not comply with Section 4 rule of the 54th Eurovision Song Contest and the Georgian delegation's refusal to amend the lyrics, Georgia decided to withdraw. Shady Lady, Anya Lora, Russian Controversies Part 2. Off to Russia's heated relationship with another neighbor now. Reminiscing over Ukraine's second-place finish back in 2008, the year Russia won, makes it incredibly hard to see how things would have turned out in the next decade. Ukraine's sexy and show-stopping performance that year was carried out by Ukrainian superstar Anya Lorak, a singer with strong ties in the Russian scene and also one of the most followed artists on Instagram to have graced the Eurovision stage. Let's fast forward now to 2014 and the Russian annexation of the Crimean Peninsula. This will be the first year of many to come that Russia's entries begin to consistently receive disapproving boos inside the stadium. Even in the case of the 2015 Russian hopeful Polina Gagarina and her peace anthem A Million Voices. The singer garnered much attention in the scoreboard and ended up finishing a strong second place behind Sweden. That, however, didn't seem to stop the arena's constant booing, something that made the 2015 contest's presenters to intervene, asking from the audience to be more respectful. 
still, that was nothing compared to the next couple of years. Moving to 2016, Ukraine is being represented by Jamala, a Ukrainian Tatar singer, and her harrowing track called 1944. The song is a mournful recollection of the May 1944 deportation of Tatar population from the Crimean Peninsula under Stalin, that has been viewed in the wake of the 2014 Russian annexation of Crimea as overtly political. The EBU's refusal to render the entry non-eligible. Ended with Ukraine winning the 2016 edition of the contest. One year later, and as the competition was not to be held in Ukrainian capital Kiev, a new conflict arose between the two countries. The Ukrainian organizers banned the Russian-chosen Yulia Samoylova from entering the country after having established that she performed in Crimean soil after the annexation. Inevitably, that led to Russia's non-participation in 2017. However, after all those years of unrest, the shady lady from 2008 remains a somewhat international sensation. Maintaining close ties with the Russian pop scene, Anya Lorak has been deemed a traitor in numerous occasions, and her 2014 concert in Odessa was disrupted by Maidan activists. When it comes to those two countries, no one knows what to expect. But looking back on recent Eurovision history, one thing is for sure: a future Ukrainian or Russian victory would not be without controversy. It's my time by Jade Ewan, the never-ending case of the United Kingdom. Twenty's bleak political context. It is rather far-fetched to view Jade Ewan's 2009 Eurovision entry as a foreshadow for Brexit. Taking a closer look at the country's recent failures to return to Eurovision glory, the 2009 entry, appropriately titled "It's My Time," might be an indication of the UK's sense of、uh, musical superiority and their general suspiciousness towards. All sorts of European institutions. Back in the 90s, the UK's more modern and adventurous attempts have been consistently overshadowed in the competition by Ireland's impressive streak of consecutive victories. As the country's last win was all the way back to 1997, the BBC and the British fandom have been growing impatient. The United Kingdom was eagering for yet another win in the Eurovision Song Contest. The 2009 singer Jade Ewan has been a member of popular girl group Sugar Babes, and the composer Andrew Lloyd Webber is, of course, the national mastermind behind musical theatre landmarks like 
The Phantom of the Opera, Cats, Evita, and Jesus Christ Superstar. However, recruiting the big names was still an act of desperation for some. The United Kingdom has not scored in the top 10 ever since, but it has attempted to recruit national heroes in numerous occasions. Popular boy band Blue were chosen for the 2011 edition, and pop veteran Bonnie Tyler represented the country in 2013. In both occasions, the results were more underwhelming than expected. Having gotten completely disconnected from the regular viewer, supported only by the community of hardcore fans, one of the Eurovision Song Contest's greatest financial pillars is hanging by a thread. Could this be Brexit all over again? It's Borges do Adeu, Pop and the Portuguese Revolution. It's Borges do Adeu is a rather literal case of revolutionary pop music. The sentimental ballad, performed by Paulo de Carvalho and written by José Carvalho and José Nise, is well-remembered, not for one, but two broadcasting highlights. The first one was April 6, 1974, when Paulo represented Portugal at the Eurovision Song Contest held at the Brighton Dome in the United Kingdom. Even though the entry finished a rather dissatisfying 14th place in a field of 17, the song was to play a crucial role in Portugal's internal politics. Less than a month later, in April 24th, at exactly five minutes before midnight, this song, together with a folk classic, Grandola Vila Morena, were broadcasted by Emissorio Social de Lisboa, as a signal to launch the Calmation Revolution, the military coup that was to overthrow the authoritarian Estado Novo of the Second Republic, ending the overseas war and leading the way to modern democratic Portugal. John Kennedy O'Connor, in his 2005 book, The Eurovision Song Contest, The Official History, would describe Edipoge du Adel as the only Eurovision entry to have actually started a revolution. Satellite, or in praise of Germany.
One of the usual faults attributed to the European Union is Germany's rather disproportionate influence. How appropriate then that Germany's increased Eurovision influence is also a rather interesting story. Since the beginning of the new millennium, Germany has been one of the biggest financial contributors to the European Broadcasting Union, matched only by France, Spain, the United Kingdom and Italy a few years later. The financial support by these four countries guarantees the automatic qualification to the Eurovision broadcast, unlike all other participants that ought to endure the semi-finals in order to find themselves on the big night. Back in 1993, however, Things were much different. The number of contributors of the European Broadcasting Union, aka the EBU, started growing more than the time reasonably appropriate for a single TV show, leading to an elaborate pre-selection process. As part of that process, in 1996 it was decided that Germany should be excluded from the international broadcast. The country's non-participation brought about a serious funding issue, which the EBU had to consider in all future manifestations of the pre-selection process. When it comes to the actual results, however, Germany usually struggles having only scored two victories in a span of 28 years. Satellite, Lena Meyer-Landrut's landslide victory song of the 2010 contest, is until this day Germany's only victory as a unified country. Elena Paparizou, Greece, Cyprus, and other alliances. You're my lover, undercover. You're my sacred passion, and I have no other. You're delicious. If one were to look for an example of political voting in the contest, one wouldn't have to go too far away from Greece and Cyprus's more than regular vote exchange. The two nations have been consistently supporting each other in terms of cultural and national proximity, one that was amplified especially after the Turkish invasion of 1974. Even when the Greek and Cypriot entries were so weak as to not justify the usual douze points, like in 2015, the exchange of at least 10 or 8 points were absolutely unquestionable. Points are not the only thing those two countries have been exchanging. The Greek music scene has regularly benefited from Cypriot voices through the years, and the Mediterranean island nation have been recently developing their Eurovision entries around the strongest pop names recruited from the Greek scene.
Despite their mutual support, though, none of the two countries have managed to score their best results without a small help from the North. Greece's only Eurovision winner, the 2005 sensation Elena Paparizou, won with rather huge support from the Scandinavian countries, one that was guaranteed from emphasizing the fact that the singer was born and raised in Sweden. Cyprus, on the other hand, has been recently relying rather overtly on Swedish talent. The country's best ever result, Eleni Fureira's 2018 fiery performance of Fuego, came from a team of Swedish songwriters and creative directors and was supported on stage by Swedish dancers and bottom singers. In recent years, the Swedes have dominated the contest, participating in songwriting camps, winning national selections, or being chosen directly by broadcasters as songwriters or stage directors. Block voting, as it is called, is a casual support strategy in the Eurovision competition, as countries within concrete European blocs like Scandinavia, Eastern Europe or the Balkans have been traditionally voting each other for decades. The northern group of countries have been also consistently supporting each other, but the idea of Swedish excellence is becoming a cultural trend, something that the hardcore fans of the contest and its multicultural relevance don't seem to be particularly fond about. Now, let's just put ourselves in the shoes of an anxious national broadcaster's manager just for a minute. What would be the quickest and most reliable way to Eurovision glory? Would that be an old Swedish creative team, perhaps? One cannot help but wonder, is Eurovision becoming the new IKEA? Blas Canto, Universo a Spanish cry for climate change. In October 5th, 2019, Blas Canto was announced as a Spanish representative for the 65th edition of the Eurovision Song Contest. In the wake of the 2020 global pandemic emergency, the 2020 edition of the contest had to be cancelled, rendering the Spanish entry Universo and all 2020 entries obsolete. Even though the Spanish broadcaster was quick to announce Blas as Spain's 2021 representative, the overall pressure has been going down all that well for the singer himself, who publicly admitted on social media to be suffering from symptoms of anxiety. How fitting, then, that his 2020 song is a plea for cosmic yet personal cleansing. When Bloss is raising his impressive voice to claim his identity, asking the universe for forgiveness, he is most likely referring to his own personal struggles. 
The global pandemic, however, has shifted attention to a more acutely global or even universal understanding of struggle. The Eurovision Song Contest has always offered its stage to ambitious songs about world-spanning issues, even heartfelt and passionate anthems about climate change awareness. Eurovision 2020 wasn't meant to be, but could this song have been our newest or even first Eurovision Anthropocene anthem? Are we taking this too far? It's pop music anyway, so no need to overthink, right? Euphoria, Lurian, Euphoria, Utopia. Following a euphoric performance, Lorina Zineb Nokat Alhawi, the daughter of Berber immigrants from Morocco, won Eurovision 2012 by storm, earning yet another victory for Sweden again. Known for her humanitarian work, Lurian had run into controversy prior to the contest when she met with local rights activists who briefed her on the situation of democratic freedoms in the tightly controlled ex-Soviet state that has been governed by the Aliyev family since 1993. Intended by Azerbaijan to promote the country as a tourist destination and international financial player, Eurovision 2012 quickly became a source of controversy as dozens of peaceful protesters have been arrested in the streets of Baku. Activists claim that buildings were demolished for the Eurovision venue to be constructed, while residents were forcibly evicted without proper compensation. The fact was denied by the Azeri authorities, who instead chose to accuse the Swedish performer for making political statements, undermining the fundamental neutrality of the contest. That particular dance track, Euphoria, remains the pinnacle of Eurovision's influence through the last decade. Recognizable across dance floors all over the world, Euphoria is an undeniable proof of Eurovision's political power par excellence, the power to make people dance regardless of race or cultural distance. Isn't that a sort of utopia? 
as Madonna was caught quoting her own song inside Tel Aviv's Eurovision Stadium back in 2019. Music makes the people come together. Yeah. Such a good thing then that Euphoria is just a dance song 